Yo, what up? This is You Can Be Mo Radio Podcast Show. This is Brandon Morris, and I got five uh, high school and college coaches on the line. We're just going to talk about basketball at the high school level as well as at the high at the college level. What it takes to get to the next level, uh, meaning collegiate basketball, and we're just going to keep it all the way real, all the way raw. And, and have some authentic conversations about basketball and hopefully uh, some kids at the middle school level, also at the high school level, will hear this this podcast and kind of take in what 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 we uh, what we have to give. Uh, we have a coach that's been coaching high school basketball at the varsity level, uh, both on the girls side as well as the boys side for 25 plus years. We have also a college basketball coach who's been a part of college basketball for 10 plus years. And then we have some some younger coaches that's been a part of high school basketball for uh, five years. Uh, again, I'm Brandon Morris. I'm the host of You Can Be Mo uh, podcast slash radio show. And uh, I feel very fortunate to have these high school varsity basketball coaches as well as a college basketball coach on the line. And I, I just want you guys to take all this advice that they're going to throw at you guys for the next 20 minutes and, and really apply it to to the game of basketball. And if you're trying to play at the next level. Uh, so I'm going to start it off with with a question, and I want to allow each one of these coaches to kind of chime in on those questions, and um, and then we're just going to let it roll from there. So uh, first, I'm going to throw it out to the college basketball coach that we have on the line. Coach, if you can, just give our listeners uh, some feedback on what it takes to play at the college level and some do's and don'ts as a high school varsity basketball player? Well, uh, a great coach that I coached with, Woody Wilson, who passed away a few years ago. He coached at the the D1 level, Coach Tony Bennett. Um, He told me at the college level as a freshman, you have to play hard every second just to survive. Just to survive. Not, Not break the rotation, not be a starter, but you have to play hard just to survive, just to make the roster. Um, So I would say that's step number one. Uh, The other part is with college kids um, coming in, everybody's good. So you've really got to put in the time to listen, build your skill level, da-da-da-da-da. As a high school kid, when I walk into a gym, the first thing I watch is are you vocal, are you a leader, are you the alpha dog, are you the person – that everybody on your team wants to follow? And are you the person that they should be following every single time I walk in the gym? Um, the other part is just work ethic. You gotta work hard outside the gym. Excellent, excellent. Um, cool, perfect. Thank you, coach. We appreciate that advice. So now we're gonna go uh, to the coach that has the most experience on the line. He has 25 plus years at the varsity uh, high school level, both girls and boys. Coach, what do you think uh, it takes for players to succeed uh, at playing at the next level? So to kind of get back to Corey's point, um, one of the things that I was always taught and something that I tell kids today is 
you don't understand the realm of players that are around you. You think of just what's in your specific city. But you got to expand your horizons to the state and to the country at whole. And my opinion is you need to do the little things. As coach said, you need to come to practice, you need to play hard, you need to play you need to play defense. You need to have the offensive fundamentals because if you don't have those things, the thing that I always say is if you don't have that, I can find somebody else that has what you have any day of the week. And those things are what sets you apart. Those things are, unfortunately, they're not the fun things, but those are the things that will get you to the next level. They'll get you to play at the next level immediately when you come in. All those little things that you don't want to do, you don't want to work hard to achieve, if you do those things, it'll set you apart from the guy standing next to you. Excellent, excellent. Thanks, Coach. Uh, uh, to the next coach, he's uh, a little bit younger, uh, but he does have uh, a few years in at the varsity level, uh, as well as being a head coach at the JV level for a couple of years. Coach, what would you advise uh, for these younger players that are looking to play at the next level? Just some do's and don'ts that you could point out to, to help a player advance and, and maybe be one of those players that can can be considered a, a college scholarship kid? I would say in my um, few years of college or of coaching experience, your character and your work, that, your work ethic, I think to get to the college experience, obviously the talent has to be there. Um, but when you look at character, you look at a man, you have to look at are you able to do what you say that you can do? Can I trust you when I don't see you? Mm. When we talk about work ethic, um, a lot of kids look at, you know, I'm able to perform on the court. And that's good. That's that's important. I think that's important for every coach. Um, but are you putting a work ethic in? Because there's going to be nights when your shot doesn't fall. Mm-hmm. There's going to be nights where your layup doesn't go in, a layup that you've hit your whole career. Free throw, you're a 90% free throw shooter. So I mean, nights when it doesn't fall. But are you putting the work ethic in um, to match that? Um, if you look at some of the greatest athletes, their work ethic is impeccable. Um, and they're also men of great character. So that, to me, that's what I would value. Um, just, just in my thoughts. Thanks coach. Um, and then for one of the coaches that, uh, is a seasoned veteran, uh, just getting into the game as far as the high school varsity level goes, Coach, what what would you give some advice for players uh, that are looking to play at the next level? Um, I would even say, what would you give? What type of advice would you give to players uh, that, like your son, is a high school player? Give us some of that same advice that you give to your son that we can also share with other high school players that are playing at the next level, that want to play at the next level. To get to that next level is it's about being coachable and coming to practice and pushing everybody else. Um, you bring the same attitude every day to practice. Um, those guys on the other side of that curtain does not completely stand on that side of the curtain. They're coming over, seeing what the JV level is bringing, um, and they're watching. 
It's just about get, getting those guys ready. Hands down. Perfect. Thanks, Coach. Um, so when we talk about and we hear it all the time from parents and, and ex-college basketball players, professional basketball players, and we're going to go backwards. Um, uh, what are some things that players should consider when it comes to off-the-court experience and what coaches look for when it when it comes to off-the-coach experience? Instead, we're going to come to you first. Repeat that again, Brandon. Sorry. Can you, can you kind of explain what are some off-the-court things that coaches look for in a basketball player when they want to consider them for to play at the next level as a scholarship player? Otherwise, we'll come back. We'll, we can come back to you. Uh, I think uh, uh, the varsity coach with the 25 years plus of experience wants to jump in. So we'll come back to you. Okay, coach. Hey, so the thing that's most important to me is if I can trust you off the court. So can I trust you to do the right thing in the classroom? Can I trust you to represent what our program is all about? out in public, whether that be in person or through social media. Ooh, and that's key. Yeah. If, if, if you check those boxes for me and I can, I can trust you there, then I can, I, I can start to transfer that trust to the basketball floor. But if I don't have that base, if I don't have that foundation, to know that you're going to do the right thing. If I can't trust you to treat a teacher with respect, you're not going to treat my assistants with respect. Mm. If I can't trust you to study and pass a quiz or pass a test, I can't trust you in game situation, game pressure to run that play that we've practiced how many times. Mm. So when, when I have that base of knowledge that, that um, I understand that you're going to take care of business off the court. Now I transfer it on the court and it's so much easier for me. As I spoke earlier, you have eight, you trust seven, you play six. That's how you get there. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we're going to go to the college coach. What would you say some things that you look for in a player as when it comes to the off-the-court experience? Well, I would start with uh, what Coach said. i got to be able to trust you. Um, we have a lot of people that have invested a lot into our program, into our college, um, that you have to be able to sit down and have a conversation with. You've got to be able to represent our program well. When you walk in... Um, we want to be proud of you having green nights across your chest. Um, so my first thing I always look for is can the man say thank you? Mm. You know, that's an undertaught thing, right? Mm. How many times do we go through a day, hold the door for somebody they don't say thank you? We give kids a meal, you know, for over Christmas time, we'll have 
certain businesses sponsor meals for our guys because they only get so much in per diem. And to say thank you so that we get that meal again for the next group of guys. Uh, so to me, I think really kids understand that the life is a lot bigger than basketball. It ends. Basketball ends for all of us somehow, some way, some shape or form. And to say thank you, to be grateful, to serve your community, to be passionate about what you do and to be thankful, you know, that, that to me tells me everything. Grades, all that stuff. Certain kids can't get A's. That is what it is. Certain kids are going to be BC level. But are they going to work their tail off? Are they going to do everything they can? You know, to me, that 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 comes after. And then basketball is the third piece. Obviously, at the college level, you've got to have some skill. You've got to have some talent. But it's more important what I see in 10 years when I get to go to their wedding and see them become a young man and and uh, see them raising their families is what's important. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So I see I see coach want to jump back in, but I just learned something and not that I learned it, but I'm going to take uh, something that you guys kind of both touched on. And, and I'm going to say thank you uh, to the four of you guys just for giving these nuggets out, because I know there are, there are coaches all over the country that get paid to give away these nuggets and just the simplest thing of saying thank you and being appreciative, uh, that'll take you a long way. Uh, so, Coach, you wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, I just wanted to double back on what Corey said. Um, and basically, you're talking about work ethic. Mm. And um, he talked about going to see a kid at a wedding after he was married and raising a family and what he, you know, what basketball was able to to do for him, but, um, you know, I'm sure a, a lot of those kids you know, that coaches dealt with that have exceeded beyond expectations always had that work ethic. Mm. And I've seen so many kids that go through their high school years and they have all the skill in the world and, and they don't have that work ethic. But when you have that work work ethic, so many great things can happen for you. And as Coach said, basketball ends for everybody. Because what? Guess what? Everybody hits 35, 37, and their skills their skills start to fade. Mm. But what's left? It's that work ethic. It's that uh, integrity. It's the character. It's all those things that were taught along the way from high school through college that will carry you through and make you successful. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so we got about five minutes left. Uh, we promised our listeners about 20 minutes. And I, I, want, I want the listeners to take this in because the, 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 the two coaches with the youngest experience when it comes to coaching at the varsity basketball level or the college level, they didn't get a chance to chime in. And, and that's kind of how some things work, where you don't always get to be a part of it, but you're a part of it. And um, we're going to move to the next and the last question, and I'm going to get the younger coaches to chime in on it. But I want you guys to take something from this. When you're around folks that have years of experience at what we consider the next level, sometimes it's not all about talking and, and, and giving your input, but it's also about hearing 
listening and then taking it in and then applying it to other 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 players and and that's one of the ways that you can give back so we're gonna let the two younger guys chime in uh uh michael we're gonna start off with you this sunday uh evening there's a special documentary that that's going to be aired throughout the 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 u.s and throughout the world where obviously uh on espn it's called the last dance which is going to be featuring the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and, of course, everybody's talking about Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. What do you look forward to see in, in this documentary that's going to be showing on Sunday? Um, like everybody, I'm excited for the documentary. I, obviously, with COVID-19, it's not much to watch. Um, so the thrill of being able to watch something that, um, that that's – just fun to watch and educational. Um, but what I want every player to look at, I know everybody's saw Michael Jordan say, you know, I look like an asshole. People aren't going to be happy for what they see or what they read. But don't just look at what the media portrays. Try to figure out the why behind it. Mm, I think that Jordan saying that what people see is what they're going to go with. The reality is oftentimes kids um, – go with the reality of perception. Mm. I think that what Jordan mastered or what other GOATs, as people would say, mastered is, and I and honestly, I can give this a tribute to Brandon Morris, what I see that people master, and one of the conversations we have coaching alongside of each other, I have to figure out what makes you the best. Mm. So if that's me coming at your ass night in and night out, I'm going to do that. Because I don't, regardless, I don't care how you feel about me. Mm. I want you to know that I want the best for you because the best you is the best for your teammates. Mm. Also, what I would say is the, another reason why you want to understand the why behind it is because these guys aren't just – Jordan wasn't just senile. He wasn't a crazy man on edge. <laughs> there was always purpose behind the vision of what he saw. So those are two things I want every player to take away from. When you watch, or every parent, every everybody that watches this, even myself, I'm going to take notes as to why why did this happen. I get the end result. They won 72 and 10. They won multiple championships. I get that. But what allowed Jordan to figure that out? Because mm. that's something, When I think Jordan talked about before this trailer was even birthed, the ghost. Like, he was chasing a ghost. Yeah. But what inspired him to find that ghost? Excellent. Uh, Coach Young, we're gonna come to you. What are you most looking forward to when when it when, when it comes to this docu series on ESPN airing this Sunday? Uh, I got to watch Jordan talk this morning uh, about how when he went to college, it was different from how the kids go to college today. Um, he spoke about. When he talked to his mom on the telephone, he apologized to her for um, running the phone bill up. Or he apologized to her for saying, send me X amount of stamps. Ah. Use stamps to communicate back in the days. Um, so I I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've been posting on all my social media accounts about this um, because I want to go back to um, Beyond the Glory that I saw about Nick Van Axel, mm. a local kid out of Kenosha, where we all are from. Most of us, um, I saw it. I heard his story. 
Um, I've also sent that out to a couple of the kids that I've coached in this area. Um, and I can tell you right now, I, I probably sent it to like five kids. Only one actually saw it because I actually had to sit down and with him to make him watch it. Mm. But I think that's uh, real talk is the kids got to understand, hey, we're coaching. There is a reason for us coaching them the way we coach them. They have to buy into the system to get to the next level. It's not given to them. Regardless of who you are, your name, your fame, your area, or wherever you're coming from, be coachable. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so we're going to go, we're going to go to coach Corey. Uh, what are you most looking forward to when you got this docu-series coming out on Sunday? I mean, the whole country, the whole world has been talking about it nonstop. It was supposed to come out in June when the playoffs were getting to the, the championship. Uh, but obviously it got pushed up because of COVID-19 and the, the social distance. What are you most looking forward to when it comes to this docu docu-series? Well, this is the closest thing we got to March Madness right now. Um, so, Phil Jackson coaching three All-Stars. Mm. Or if you count Ron Harper, Tony Kukoc. The best of the best being coached by one of the best. And hearing the insights and the behind the scenes of what went into that and the different motivational techniques. And looking at the dynamic of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Scotty Pippen, one of the greatest of all time, right? Yep. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. We can all argue one, two, three, whatever. Greatest of all time. Yep. And how Scotty Pippen and him worked together to become one of the best duos of all time. So looking at that, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Plus, that's our era. This is when we grew up. We were all Bulls fans. I don't care where you were from, who you were. You all had a we all had a bull starter jacket. We all were excited when the Bulls won. None of us rooting for the New York Knicks. So, to me, to see that, it's it's exciting. It's gonna beat the beat the hell out of uh, the horse challenge that they just had on TV. So, I'm <laughs> all right. And then last, uh, thank you, Coach. Last, we we have the coach with the most experience that that that's that's seen quite a bit of basketball. Uh, many different levels, uh, Coach Leach. Wh what are you? What are you most looking forward to when it comes to this docu series? Out of all the years you've been coaching, all the basketball that you've seen, what are you most looking forward to? So it's kind of crazy, but I'm uh, 53 and have been coaching for a long time, and was a Bulls fan when this was all going on, and. Um, met up with friends and watched all of it. And I watched it all as an adult, as somebody, and somebody that had just started his coaching career. Mm. And what excites me is there are so many young people that have heard Jordan, heard about him, maybe saw a highlight here or two in what he could do, but nobody, or those younger kids who are young adults now, they have no idea what made him tick. <laughs> and obviously I'm not a guy that has seen the documentary, but I lived it and I'm pretty sure that they're going to see why Michael Jordan, in my opinion, is the greatest basketball player that ever lived. 
And, and I marvel at the fact when I go back and look at his career and I see that he played in six finals and he didn't lose. Mm. Look at all of the greatest players that ever stepped foot on the floor. And that's difficult. I mean, you, you, you talk about LeBron, you talk about Kobe, all of those players that are considered in his, uh, considered at his level. Have they been able to do that? And they haven't. And I just think you're going to find out in the next 10 weeks what made Michael Jordan better than those guys who are in that conversation today. And I'm excited because, as I said, I lived it, I know it, but I want all those young people to understand what Michael Jordan was all about. Excellent, excellent. So... Uh, we got one coach that wants to chime in more. We're on it. We're going on our 25th minute, but coach Holden, we're going to let you go ahead and, uh, chime in one last time. Coach, what, what, what else do you want to add to that? Hey man, I don't want to add anything first. I want to thank you for being an amazing host for, um, allowing us to get on this, uh, news feeder zoom call. But, um, I, as I reflect back on the 24 minutes and 30 seconds that we've been on this call, you haven't answered anything. So it'd be, it'd be, you know, almost disrespectful not to let the people hear what coach Morris wanted to say uh, <laughs> about this question. Uh, when it, when it comes to the docu-series, um, I'm a, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. Um, I remember the days of me walking down to Lincoln park, uh, walking behind my mom and she has the, the very first original pair of Jordans that were banned from the NBA over her shoulders. And, you know, just falling in love with the game of basketball and then eventually uh, being a Chicago Bulls fan of the greatest player to ever play the game, to ever lace up a pair of shoes. And to me, there's no argument uh, just because he did so much more to the game outside of basketball. And um, uh, his work ethic was just, you know, bar none. Uh, so what I'm I'm looking for mostly, and there, I think there's two things. One is to see how bench players fed off of the the starters, because I, I think that's what makes you makes a good team great, and what makes a great team unstoppable. Uh, all about those bench players and and how they competed against those starters. And then uh, secondly, I, I really look forward to seeing what people consider the bad things about Michael Jordan. And uh, and I say that because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Michael Jordan lover. And I think when I compare myself, if I could, to Michael Jordan or, or people that were great, uh, I noticed as I got older after my 30s, uh, 31 and 32 and so on, now that I'm 37, I look back on my basketball career and I noticed after talking to certain people uh, that, you know, I may have lost friendships. I may have uh, altered friendships and I may have you know, rumbled some friendships because of my competitiveness. And that was strictly off of the way I 
admired and loved the way Michael Jordan competed. And, and I think that's what we're going to see in this docu-series that this guy obviously had what, what everybody would consider uh, a disorder, a competitiveness disorder where it didn't matter who you were or what the stakes were. He wanted to win at all costs. And again, if I if I can compare myself to that type of or those type of characteristics, I try to take that on as much as I could. And again, now looking at myself at 37, looking back um, and talking with a few basketball players just in the city of Kenosha, I know that I, I lost some friendships and maybe I, I could have uh, fostered some friendships and relationships, uh, but my competitiveness didn't allow it because players only seen me as a basketball player and not what I could have offered off of the court until now that I'm of age of, of 37. So I, I really look forward to seeing those type of things in this docu-series that people didn't get to see and that we didn't get to see. But I know that it went on because, again, myself being extremely competitive, I know how it affected people. Uh, Coach Leach, you want to chime in now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to finish this. <laughs> keep making good points, and then I want to jump on them. But one of the things, as you were talking, that uh, you uh, you made me think about was when when we watch this docu series, and you and you and you go back to um, what the Bulls were try to bring it back to what Corey's looking for on a college level and what all of us are looking for on a high school level. You take a watch this docu-series and watch what the Bulls did, how they did it, and who they did it with. Mm. And, yes, you had the greatest basketball player that ever lived. You had the second. You had a perfect um, Tonto to Lone Ranger. Uh, Robin to uh, to Batman, however you want to look at it. That was Scottie Pippen. After that, I challenge you when you watch this docuseries to look at what the Bulls had. They had um, players that brought one thing. And they did that one thing to the absolute best of their abilities and to um, the best that the NBA had seen at that point in time. Dennis Rodman, absolutely the best rebounder and one of the best defenders. You always had, whether it was the first run of three or the second run of three, you always had a shooter. Mm. You you had John Paxson or you had Steve Kerr. Mm. You always had a defender that could play the best offensive player, but yet still give Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan a rest. Mm. You know, Ron Harper. Yep. Um, So it was... It's one of the best teams that you'll ever see in sports history. And yes, you had the greatest player ever, but my message to all those kids that play basketball on a high school, on the college level, look at what else was there. And everybody played a role and they were happy with it because why? They won championships. And when you win championships, everybody gets better. Excellent. Uh, Coach Holden wants to chime in. Go ahead, Coach Holden. 
I don't want to chime in as I want to pose a question. Um, one of my mentors, coach, uh, that's on the call here, I won't name his name. Uh, he's just been coaching the longest on here. Um, always taught me that when you're in the presence of greatness or you're in the presence of a lot of legends, um, you always ask why, how, and how they got there. Um, so to the rest of you four coaches on here, I know we're at 37 minutes and 43 seconds. <laughs> I've been timing it myself. Um, what, would you, what nuggets can you provide myself as a younger coach that's growing, um, wanting to achieve some of the things that you guys have achieved? And always, I'm always ever indebted to all of you guys on the call um, for the being a trailblazer in your own respect. Um, but what is something that you can tell younger coaches, myself included, um, but as well as some of those, you know, coaches that are coaching kids at the CYC level or um, rec league levels, um, those high school, those middle school coaches, those those high school, you know, assistants or uh, freshman assistants or JV assistants or JV head coaches or varsity assistants that want to get to that next level, um, that they always feel um, that they're overlooked, um, what I'm doing not valued. What is something that all of you guys that have somewhat, I mean, I don't mean to speak for you guys, but at this achieve success what is something that you can say to all of those guys um that maybe we can all take take back and something that we can work on to benefit our our own coaching careers excellent uh coach Corey, i'm gonna give it to you first how would you tackle uh, that at that question i'm gonna start with my advice to any young coach or, or new coach or somebody that's been doing it for a while even is one, when we talk about opinions of outside people, there's only one opinion that really matters, and that's what you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. Um, when you look at when you look at doing the right thing every day, you are the only one that knows whether you're doing the right thing or not. You are the only one that really knows every day that you are the man that you are in front of everybody else. Um, you want to do what's right for your program, do right what's right for your kids, um, be there for your kids. And you know the reasons why you're doing it. Um, so when I when I leave practice every day, when I leave every day, I try to understand that I'm here more than basketball. It's about our relationships. It's about what we do. Um, if I want to move up the ranks, you can. You got to work hard. You've got to know the right people. You've got to be a good person. And you've always got to be mindful that all of those kids, all of their eyes, whether they like you or not, whether they. You know, their parents like you or not doesn't matter. All of them see you as representative of something greater than than just a teacher. So that, to me, it, it keeps me going every day. Um, and if we value all the right things, wins happen. If we're just coaching to win, well, if, if that's the only thing that we're counting, then you'll burn out. It's like being a doctor because it pays a lot of money. Well, the biology classes are hard. You got to get through those first. So, Coach Lee, uh, can we give this question to you? Uh, I don't know. If you, did you did you hear the question for, that uh, Michael uh, put out to the, to all the veteran coaches um, as far as advice that you would give to younger coaches? Uh, that are looking to move up and basically comparing successes uh, to to where you are, where you've been, uh, and as well as a college coach like Corey. I've heard uh, a lot of what Corey said, 
and um, a lot of it is 100% on. Um, the only thing that I would add from my perspective, because I'm a high school coach, is, you know, I became a head coach. I spent 10 years working at St. Joe's as a volunteer, not making any money. And 10 years? Yeah, yep. And what I would say to all the younger coaches is put in your time. Learn your craft, um, and when the time is right, it'll be right. You'll you'll move on, and you and you'll get that opportunity to be the head man and have your own program. And uh, there's a lot to learn as a basketball coach if you're honest with yourself. At the end of every year, after every game, I can't tell you the amount of times that. I look back at what I did, and, and, and we make, as coaches, and Corey can attest, Brandon, you can attest, um, you make hundreds of decisions, whether that's in practice, in preparing kids, or in games, that affect the outcome. And you have to be able to look at that and say, hey, and honestly, look at it and say, man, I made a mistake. And uh, that's why coaches don't sleep. <laughs> Those coaches that do that, they don't sleep because they go home and they say, "God, you know, I'm pretty important in this whole in this whole scheme of things, and I made a mistake." And look at it, and learn from it, and move on, and and, and try not to make it again. And, and so, uh, I guess my final point is to all those young coaches out there: learn your craft. And then when you do, understand that you don't know it all and be willing to criticize yourself, be willing to have those two to three sleepless nights. But when you get back to it and you start working with the kids, bring something different that would, maybe they don't understand it, maybe your assistants don't understand it, but you made a change to make things better in the future. Excellent. Uh, Coach Corey, uh, what can you add to that, Coach? I'll add the coach, and I'm sure he'll agree with me. Every year we coach, we know a little less. <laughs> I mean, you know, when we're young, when we first start out, we knew one way and it worked every time. Well, eventually that time runs out and it doesn't work anymore. So, you I, and I stole that quote from somebody. I, I don't remember who it was from. I think it was Coach Wilson, uh, who I worked with. But every year we coach, we know a little bit less. Mm, interesting, interesting. Coach wants to jump. Yeah, I just got to jump in real quick. You know what, Brandon? At some point, you're going to have to jump in and defend this thing. But I was telling this to Coach Mike the other day. Um, when I first got into coaching, I really questioned whether I knew how to uh, break down the zone defense. Did I understand all of the principles? I don't care what you run, but do you understand the principles that allow you to break down a defense, a zone defense, and and score? And because um, the, the the zone defense is great until you get the first three buckets, then all of a sudden the coach looks at it and he said, "Oh, oh wait a minute." Um, but one of the things that I 
Actually, let me go back. So when I started, I had a high school coach that said, hey, you know, everybody's talking about you have to be able to throw the ball to the baseline. You have to stretch the stone to the baseline. And I was watching, he talked about this in the 80s, and I, I watched a coaching video in the 90s where the coach said, hey, the thing that's going on now is you got to be able to, you got to be able to throw it to the, to the baseline. And I'm like, I've been, I've experienced that 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, but this year I learned, and I shouldn't say this year, but, um, you know, then I, I learned that you got to have some movement through the zone. You know, a lot of zone offenses are stationary mm-hmm. and it may work, but as defensive, as defenses, um, develop, you know, you get more of the matchup and makes it more difficult. So then how are you going to beat the matchup? You got to have movement through the zone. And the one thing that I learned this year is, you know, throw it, throw it to the wing, have somebody match up and then dribble it two dribbles high and throw it back mm. to the empty area. And then who's going to guard it? Because the person that's guarding the ball should have been at that area. So anyway, um, there's so much to learn every single year, even though you think you may have it all down, you don't keep studying, you know, go to, go to St. Norbert's and, and watch practice. I guarantee you, you will learn something when you're, when you're watching. Excellent. Excellent. God, these are some great nuggets. Coach Holden, we're going we're, we're gonna to bring you back in. Man, man, this is great, man. Um, my last question, my most simplest question is, B, can we do this again? Of, of course. I'm all for it. We definitely can do this again. Uh, I, I'm going to try and answer your question as best as I can. Um, so my advice for uh, younger coaches that are looking for those opportunities to be head coaches or um, even for myself as a head coach, I, I feel like some of the, the best advice that I can give myself uh, and younger coaches is to make sure that uh, you empower your your assistant coaches. And I think that's what I learned from all of my experiences. Uh, the head coaches that I coached under, uh, I felt like they always empowered me. And those that, that was one of the best ways I learned. Putting me in situations as if I was the head coach and letting me fall on my mistakes and then them kind of picking me up and coaching me through those experiences um, and I think that's what allowed me to be uh, prepared and ready to be a head coach. Um, th- I think that empowerment just means so much as a head coach, because like all of you guys have pointed on, and specifically the college coach and the head coach that has 25 plus years in the game, they talked about, you know, we don't know everything. And, and, it, and it's okay to not know everything. And it's okay for your assistant coaches to not know everything. Uh, and, and for me, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to having um, a blended coaching staff that you can depend on night in and night out because we don't know everything. Uh, but collectively, I think you know enough for your team to get the best results that you're looking for because you know your players. And whether it's a win or a loss, I think you can go home uh, maybe not satisfied, but satisfied with the results uh, because you know that 
as a head coach, you gave it all you got. And you know that your assistant coaches were on the same track and on the same lines as you and, and that it trickled down through your players. And not only did it trickle down through your players, it also uh, sprinkled on your parents and then it sprinkled on the fans and the staff and so on and so forth, that everybody knows the culture that you uh, wanted to be identified is, is recognized, appreciated, respected and loved uh, uh, throughout that community. And I think that takes you far and beyond any wins, any championships and, and it allows you to sleep at night. <laughs> uh, Coach Holden, what's up? <laughs> hey, man, I'm just going to keep it real with you. Man. The conversation is great. Uh, you're just going to have to turn this in somehow, recording it into part two. Um, I want to add to it, not as a coach out of his team, but 99th of what you guys have achieved, uh, but just um, obviously thanking you guys for where you guys allowed me to get to in my coaching career. Um, but to any younger coach, I would say um, when you come in, don't come in as knowing it all. As the other coaches I've said, come in and be hungry. Um, one of the things I can attest to is that when I came in as a head, uh, head JV coach at Bradford, uh, I came in hungry. I came in wanting to know. Um, I came in. So, and one thing what you do when you get that seat, so I guess you can call my seat of when I came in as a JV coach, the third kind of assistant on varsity my immediate thing was to learn what's going on. Understand the culture. Cause don't come in trying to, trying to, you know, I think every coach can come in like, oh, I got this great idea. Like, nah, understand what you're working with. Um, to also, be a student of the game. We challenge our kids to be a student of the game. But going up, if you look at how I came up, I came up as an AAU coach. So I came up as, as kind of thrown into an AAU coaching situation. Then I took a job as a – while I'm a head coach, I said, hey, I want to be an assistant coach at the same time so I can learn. And then um, as one of the models we have at Bradford is stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm. Um, so when you look at this year, Coach Leach oftentimes threw me in situations in practice so he could earn so – I, so I knew he trusted me as a, hey, coach, what would you do in this situation? With? Seven seconds left, what's, what's going on? Um, hey, coach – this is what the defense is doing. This is what we need to do. This is who the ball needs to be in. This is what other players need to be. Because if you always think as an assistant coach, which I did my first year, I'm just here to support. That's cool. That's great thinking. But if you want to grow, how would you handle the situation if you were the coach? And unfortunately, being an assistant coach and saying, I don't know, that's just going to get you pushed back to another year. Um, so those are a couple things I would say. And the ending thing I would say as any coach, um, I don't know if any coach has done this. You can ask Coach Leach this from the year, my first year at Bradford um, to my last year or my first year at AU to my last year at AU. I, I always ask Coach Leach or any coach that I've came around, um, what, what did I do well? Where did I struggle? How can I grow? And one thing, after answering those three questions, Coach Leach has literally stretched me to beyond imagine to where the point where I've asked him, I don't have the answer. I need you to help me. Um, what are you not ready for as a coach? And I think no, most coaches aren't going to answer you that because we have to have it all together. We can't say this because it's vulnerable. 
Um, but understanding, finding a safe place of where you can answer what I don't have together, but then finding a place of where you can go somewhere and find those answers and be stretched. And I think as any coach, whether it's CYC or a college coach, if you can find those answers about yourself, you become a better human being, you be, become a better asset to those around you. Excellent, excellent. Great nuggets. Uh-oh. Coach Leach, what do you got? What do you- yeah, last <laughs> thing. I, want, I would love to do this again. I want to do it again. But Corey's got to be involved because we got to have a college coach because otherwise what we talk about on the high school level can get boring. Yep. We need somebody that knows a little bit more. Yep. Is experienced a little bit more. I agree. And, and can stretch the conversation. So if you don't have Corey, I'm out. <laughs> uh, so as a moderator, I got I, I got to make sure all the voices are heard. Uh, Coach said before we before we let Coach Corey close us out. Um, what do you, what could you give as far as advice? for your experience uh you were assistant coach for a little bit and then now you're a head jv coach can you got can you kind of talk real quickly on like what's what's the timing like as an assistant coach versus being a head coach just at the jv level what's the timing like when you're talking about decisions that you have to make for me it was Being an assistant coach on a JV level, um, having to adjust, adapt to that head coach's philosophy of basketball, um, and then adjusting to the actual head coach of the program's uh, philosophy of basketball. Mm. And then once I was able to take control of the JV program myself, trying to buy into the system of putting all that together with what I can bring to the table. Um, it's not easy. Um, like coach, both coaches said, um, or all three with Mike, uh, I don't sleep at night. I lose, I come home, I, I don't sleep at night, man. I'm watching film uh, on both levels, whether or not it's mine or the next level, because at some part or some point, I'm trying to help those guys out. Um, get in touch that inner that inner portion of uh, those kids um, that are on the varsity level versus JV level or in practice. If I'm sitting around trying to learn the varsity level of it um, to bring to my level of it, uh, the learning, the teaching, um, it's, it's never going to stop. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, Coach. All right. Uh, so now, Coach Corey, you got to close us out. Uh, you can close us out any way you want to with some encouraging words, some raw uh, truths about basketball and going to the next level, getting to the next level, whatever it is. And I, I just want all our listeners to know that, yes, um, when it comes to basketball, these gentlemen are passionate they have a lot of years of experience in the game of basketball. And I was just thinking real optimistically when I said 20 minutes for this show, but I knew that we can stretch it an hour, two hours, however long it goes. So right now we're, we're creeping in on the, 
on the on the fifty second minute of this show. But we want uh, Coach Corey to close us out. And once again, I, I just have to uh, show my appreciation to all of you guys giving out these nuggets. I think uh, we definitely have to do this again next week. Um, and I, I'm I, I'm humbly grateful that you guys just gave out these nuggets with 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 no hesitation. And um, I thank you guys uh, for, from sincerely. I, I appreciate you guys, Coach Corey. Close us out. However you want to do it, take First it away. Off, I'll say every podcast should have high school, middle school, elementary school coaches because if we want to talk about base coaching, mm. that's where we've all started. And if you haven't started there, you should have started there. Mm. So thank you to you guys. Um, thank you, Brandon, for having me. I enjoy it. I mean, obviously we go way back, but um, for all the coaches out there, anybody that's listening to this, just uh, just work hard, be humble, and do what you can to help the people around you. That's all we can do. So thankful to be here. Thank you guys. And I have enjoyed learning a lot from all of us. So thank you. Excellent. So you guys just tuned in to the best 53 minutes of the You Can Be Mo podcast radio show. Uh, thank you guys. We'll see you guys again next Thursday night with these amazing coaches. Hopefully we can include, include some other coaches in on this on this podcast because the golden nuggets that have been given out, we have to hear those again, especially after everyone tunes in to the docuseries of the Chicago Bulls and their last dance with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the list goes on. Thank you guys for listening. This is Brandon Morris. We're tuning out, just creeping in on the 54th minute. We love you. We love this game. Peace. This is the best damn podcast in the land. You can be my podcast show. This is Brandon Morris. And in my bottom right, I got Coach Michael Holden. My bottom left, I got Coach Corey Shashelshik. In the upper left, we got head coach Greg Leach. These gentlemen are rocking and rolling, and they're ready to dance. Something like the last dance. Fellas, welcome, welcome, welcome. Say hello to the folks. Hey, hey, let's go. We had a little Bulls theme music to bring us in today. Because the last dance has got us in that mindset. So uh, right away, let's just jump into it. Deep, deep, deep dive in. Last week, we answered some questions uh, talking about high school players. Uh, and then we went into the last dance. Now, we have been updated where we got to watch episode three and episode four. And... It was the episode to watch. I think this this episode is really these this show is getting better and better every single time. Uh, we sent some questions to prepare the fellas, and uh, trust me, they're ready to go. So right away, no hesitations. Let's get to it, fellas. We're gonna jump in and start up. Actually, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna hit them with the. Actually, we're gonna hit them with the banger. So the bonus question we got was. 
Michael Jordan, he's obviously the greatest player of all times. He eliminated a certain amount of the best of the best players, but he eliminated 60 win teams. How many best of the best players did he uh, did he push out of the playoffs? Sorry, let me rephrase that question. So how many players that are considered the best of the best, like the Kobe's, the Magic's, the Birds, etc., have beaten more 60-win season teams when facing elimination like in the playoffs more than Michael Jordan? Gregory. All right. So this was a uh, probably a bigger homework assignment that I ever had at St. Joe's High School. <laughs> uh, but it took me a lot of work, and I, I got I broke it down to uh, Kobe, Jordan, Magic, Bird, and Thomas. And so, in going through this, I was surprised um, at what I found, but I also was um, amazed at what I found about Kobe's championships. Mm. But let me start with Kobe beat one team. And, and, and what I looked at is championships or in the finals. And I looked at each round in the finals, Kobe beat one team. One team? One team. Isaiah Thomas beat one team with 60. Magic Johnson beat two teams with 60 wins. Larry Bird beat three teams with 60. And I I, I think Brandon may have knew the answer. or uh, Yeah, I believe you knew the answer before you asked. And Jordan beat seven with 60 wins. Um, and I know I'm going to upset some people that are listening or on this um, podcast, but I, I I feel I have to mention it. I looked at four of Kobe's championship runs, and I don't have the exact years. Uh, for those inclined, you can go back and take a look, but they beat the Nets. For one of their championships, the Nets had Kid, mm-hmm. Kittles, mm-hmm. Kenyon Martin, Keith Van Horn. They beat the Sixers, Allen Iverson, and nothing else. And I and I'll tell you what, looking at that, I for him to get there, even though he lost, uh, I hope to God he won MVP that year. <laughs> Uh, a, a third championship of Kobe's. And this might have been the toughest group that he ran across, but he had Jalen Rose, five years experience, Al Harrington, very similar. But then you had four guys that were at the end of their careers, Miller, Mullen, Jackson, Mark, and Rick Smiths. That was a third championship. And then he beat Orlando, where you had Dwight Howard, and Rashad Lewis. 
So I look at that and say, not I mean, championships are championships, but he went across the East when the East was really weak. And that's when they considered the Wild Wild West the toughest. All right, Coach, Coach, Coach CC, let's let you get in on this. So to, to pile on a little bit on my research, I went on Bleacher Report, which I always enjoy reading. And uh, so the Bulls beat the two best teams ever to not win a championship with the best records ever. Does anybody want to take a guess to what those two teams were? Portland. Nope. 62 and... uh, Go ahead, you guys. Sorry, I'm sorry. Mike? Oh. They had the best dunker that we've seen in our lifetime in the early 90s. Seattle. Seattle and the Utah Jazz. Best two records ever by teams to not win a championship in NBA history. What was their record? Uh, it was 64, uh, 62 and something, whatever. 62 and 20 and something Seattle, like that. 64 yeah. and 18. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other piece of it was um, Bleacher Report did a breakdown of every team that's ever won 60 games, which there's 60 plus teams that have done that. The Bulls had three of the top five teams of all time uh, based on that. And uh, between the 96 and 97 Bulls were teams one and two. Wow. All time. According to Bleacher Report, so was Michael Jordan playing on that team? Michael Jordan was on both teams. Okay, yes. okay, excellent. All right, um, Mike, you got anything to to pile on to that? I mean, this is some great research. Um, I think that's great research. I think it's um, eye-opening, shocking to some levels. Um, I know what people of my generation are going to say, just take everything into context. Um, playing devil's advocate, of course, we can call Mike the GOAT. Um, but it's interesting, I would say. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers early on in the podcast. Go ahead. Corey. The other the, the other interesting part when I was starting to do my research was that there's three teams with 60-plus wins that have lost in the first round of the playoffs. Whoa. All three teams are in the Western Conference. So you had Utah losing to Houston, Hakeem the Dream, and those guys won the year that Jordan was out. Tough. You had Seattle out against Denver and Dikembe Mutombo. And oh, that Dallas. was a lucky shot. Yep. And then you had Dallas losing to Golden State. So out of all the 60-win teams of all time, three of them have lost in the playoffs early, and they've all been in the Western Conference. Wow. That, and Dallas won. reversed a little bit now, right? Because today we talk about how strong the West is. However, when Jordan and the Bulls ruled the East, the East was king. The West teams had the better record, but when the Bulls walked in, we knew who was going to win. I think, Corey, that goes to style of play. Um, in style of play back then, East versus West, there was a big difference. Um, you know, they always said back in when I was younger, back in the, you know, the mid 80s, early 90s, that when, when it became playoff time, you had to play, you had to play some defense and you had to learn how to play half court offense. And the West was more run and gun. And the, and the East was more, hey, we're, we're going to slow you down, Pat Riley. We're going to slow you down. We're going to make you play half court. And I think the East played that for 82 games straight. 
the West didn't. And I think that was an adjustment that needed to be made. And, and maybe it wasn't, I'm not saying that the West wasn't as good as the East, but it was a style of play that they weren't used to. And there was an adjustment period and maybe they didn't have enough time to adjust to it. So would you guys say that the East was more physical than the West? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had Detroit, you had the Bulls. I mean, Milwaukee at that time in the early 90s was all right, and mid-90s was good. Indiana, New York. Um, it, was, it was a rough-and-tumble league um, where the West was, like Coach said, very free-flowing, run up and down the floor, we're going to score a lot of points. A little bit more likened to what today's game is. Yep. Uh, where it, it's 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 that that analytics based data, um, but I think when you look at it, the Bulls' success speaks for itself, and the Rockets were a throwback to what the Bulls, you know, in that time they were a grind it up, we're, we're going to get the ball inside two type of team. Yep. Greg, you want to close us with that one? Um. No, he. I mean, Corey actually hit the points that I wanted to that I wanted to mention. Um, it was just it was it was just a different game. I mean, sometimes you could take a. Or people talk about fashion comes in from the West Coast and travels to the East. Um, back in that time, I think basketball and the style of play flowed from the West to the East. I mean, you see that today. I mean, the, the, the style of play that I watched in the in the mid to late 80s, early 90s is completely different to what I'm watching today. Uh, and maybe maybe the West was ahead of the t- of their time. Maybe the West had more talent. Um, or I shouldn't say that, but more talent to play that kind of style. But ultimately, I mean, any kind of game, and, and I haven't haven't coached on the uh, NBA level. But I think there's a huge advantage, at least where I coach, and Corey, you could speak to this, and Brandon, um, but if you can control tempo, whether it's fast, whether it's slow, you have an advantage. And um, maybe at that point in time, the East was able to, to do that better than the West team. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All great tips. Uh, for those listeners, these guys did some extensive uh, homework and research on that because uh, imagine all the games that have been played in the NBA since the NBA existed, and you're talking about trying to find out every team that has 60-plus wins and which best of the best players eliminated the most, and... Basically, the answer comes down to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. He eliminated more 60-win teams. Another reason why he's considered the GOAT. Uh, Let's go to uh, another bonus question. Uh, We usually throw these in at the end, but we wanted to start the show off with a bang. Uh, How many NBA final series has Isaiah Thomas played in? Uh, Corey, we're going to go with you. He's been in three final series. He was two and one. Um, Isaiah, yeah, obviously one of the bad boys, but one of the greatest point guards of that era, of that time. Um, 
you know, had a great cast around him, like every champion does. Every champion has a great team around him. Uh, but uh, you know, he, uh, he he won three of them, that, or won two of them, and really close to the end of his career. You know, he was getting towards the end of his career when those wins came in. Um, one of the other great stats about Isaiah Thomas, he was also a national champion at Indiana with Bob Knight. Yep. Um, and was also the most outstanding player of that year as well in the finals. Tough, tough. Originally from where? He, he was he was a Chicago kid. Chicago kid. He was he actually I think that's where the Jordan Isaiah rivalry started. Because Michael Jordan became Chicago. But Isaiah was Chicago before Chicago was Chicago. And that and that I think was the start of that fueling of that rivalry, which I know Brandon's going to ask and Coach G is going to talk about and Coach Mike's going to talk about. But I think that was the start. I think that's the bedrock of this rivalry of who is the face of Chicago. Excellent. Uh, Coach G, you got something? Yeah. So in talking about Isaiah Thomas, um, as Coach Corey said, he was in two are three in one two the third um he was within single points seconds of winning three in a row and i'm not a big fan of detroit because i was a huge fan of the bulls yep but you know some say during a five-year stretch it could be the greatest stretch in nba history 1987 through 1991 you had Magic and Bird who ruled. And let me and, and let me just quickly go back. Before those guys were drafted, I remember listening to playoff NBA basketball on the radio because if you wanted it live, that was the only place you were going to get it. Listening to it on the radio? Huh? Listening to it on the radio? On the radio. Yeah. Because NBA... Finals basketball, playoff basketball was tape delayed. Oh. Tape delayed. That tells you how far this game has gone. Um, but you look at back to uh, Isaiah Thomas and, and and the Pistons. But two of the best players that ever played were playing. They were at their apex with Isaiah Thomas. You had Michael Jordan, the goat, who was ramping up to being that guy. They knocked off the Detroit Pistons, knocked off two of the greatest dynasties in NBA basketball. Remember, the Lakers and the Celtics won eight of nine championships. Jeez. Detroit won, again, back-to-back and just missed a third. So um, that team, I think... As much as I don't like them, and and the talent, if you take a look at that group, was not crazy. It wasn't. They didn't have crazy talent there. They had a great coach in Chuck Daly. If I had to rank Chuck Daly and and Phil Jackson, they're right there. Um, but to achieve what they achieved with what they had, you got to remember that the the Pistons played a post up style. They had Adrian Dantley, and they had Mark McGuire. Adrian Dantley, a phenomenal score for the young fellas that don't know about Adrian Dantley. 
Oh, yeah, Mark Aguirre was as Chicago as anybody. I mean, he went to DePaul. He did all. I mean, Mark Aguirre could play. Mm. He was he was a phenomenal player. He got traded from the Mavericks. Yep, and they traded those two guys out in their championship years, and they won one. And they won one with Dantley as a post up guy, and Aguirre then the next year or vice versa as a post up guy. But you take a look at the the rest of what they had. Isaiah Thomas was he was uh, he was twenty eight, twenty nine, and you had Joe Dumars, um, class guy. And then the rest of you had James Edwards, early 30s. You had Vinny Johnson, maybe one of the best six men coming off the bench. Michael but he was in his early 30s, 32, 33. Um, Bill Lambeer, same thing. Rick Mahorn, same thing. The bruiser. Uh, what's that? The bruiser, Rick Mahorn. Yeah. Um, John Sally. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, so I'll stop. But I don't think they really flamed out. I think they were one of the the great teams that played mid-late 80s and, and are very comparable to the teams that played in the 90s. And I would say they had certain pieces, as the Bulls had certain pieces, but they both had a coach that could bring all that together and win championships. Excellent breakdown. Mike, what do you got for us? I was, um, so I know you asked a question about, you're going to ask it later, just in reference to Isaiah. Um, I watched that 88 finals game today um, when he scored 25 in the third on a bum ankle. Um, and, and I know channeling my inner BMO. Was he, in, was he out in LA or was he in Detroit? Let me see if you really watched he it. Was, he was in L.A. Okay. Okay. Um, but to just think, to, to go back, like, how – imagine how tough he had to be in game in – that, in that game six. On a bum ankle to score 25 straight in the third and to – and then to, to really dominate that game as Isaiah – if you look at Isaiah – I was thinking about it. he's often overlooked for various reasons. I know I'm going into another question, but it's just, it, that game made me appreciate him more so ever than watching it today. Thanks for that. Go ahead, you know, Cece. You know, you talked Bob Knight, who's one of the greatest college coaches of all time. I mean, regardless of what we think of his character and stuff like that, he says Isaiah Thomas, the greatest winner he's been around. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player he's ever been around. Isaiah Thomas, the greatest winner. And Isaiah Thomas was, he was a winner. And I think what happened was he got caught, like Coach G said, between two dynasties, three dynasties, really. You had the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bulls. When we talk about history, that's what we have, right? In, in our time, in our era. Yep. He got, he was smack dab in the middle of that. And they had a better team, though, that, than what Coach, Coach even mentioned, Dennis Rodman, you know, and some of those guys. I mean, the, the Pistons had some very good players on that team. You don't win two championships out of three without really good players. But Chuck Daly, Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, all those guys are up there together. Um, and you look at what what Isaiah did, really I think the reason why he was overshadowed was the bad boys label. I think, you know, he, he is a winner. But some of the things starting back in 85 with the Jordan freeze out at the All-Star game, so that's the, that's the part that I wanted you guys to mention that a lot of people 
probably don't even know about. I mean, and they, they, I've seen so many people in the last couple of days harp on how nobody gives Isaiah credit and MJ kept him off the dream team. But talk a little bit, bit, bit more about that, the 85 All-Star game that you're talking about, freeze out. So the Eastern Conference All-Stars were upset with Michael Jordan getting all this attention because he was a second or third year kid coming into the league. And Jordan got nine shots the entire All-Star game. Best player in the league, talent-wise. But, but why, why, were they, why were they upset with him also for the fact that he's getting all this, he's a rookie, he's getting all this shine. Why else were they upset? Does anybody know? I, I think it was really money. To be honest, he's making all this money with the commercials. He's doing all these big things. Specifically pertaining to the All-Star game, does does anybody know why they were upset with him when it comes to that All-Star game? Greg? Coach Coach Leach, is, uh, this is his first week on, uh, po- on the podcast. <laughs> You're funny. Hey, so the All-Star game, I know one of the things that when he came out in the dunk contest – is he was adorned with gold chains. Mm, okay. And um, people did not like that. And, you know, something that became very normal for people to do and very accepted. But at that time, it wasn't. And I'm not sure what the year was, but you got to remember, Jordan averaged 37.1 in that era of the NBA. And then you pop out and you got Nike contracts. You're wearing gold chains. You show up at the dunk contest and you're blowing people away. Hey, we're all human, right? Yep. Michael, I want to give you one stab at it before we continue. Do you know why these, why people were mad at him when it came to that All-Star game? I don't know exactly, but I know I was reading like an article on NBC, NBC saying his agent played a part in it just with piggybacking off what Coach Leach said, the gold chains and the Nike warm-ups, which were technically banned at the time. Okay, so I that's... Some of the vets were just upset. Excellent. So a lot of the veteran players in that All-Star game, when it came to the warm-ups, uh, you know, they're out there, everybody's warming up, and MJ has on the sweatpants. And I guess they did some Nike sweatpants that he was kind of marketing for Nike at the time, and they were like, "Dude, you got on, you wearing the sweats? Is that is that what we're doing?" They didn't like it, so from there, uh, Isaiah goes to Magic and tells him, "Hey, look, you know, I'm a guard, you you guard me. We're gonna kind of let each other score." He said, but I'm also going to tell the East players, let's let us let us not let Michael Jordan shoot the ball because he shoots enough balls during the season anyways. And it, try to compare it to because Isaiah Thomas, also his rookie year when he played an All-Star game, he only took seven shots. So MJ did find out about this. And that game, MJ ended up only taking nine shots because I guess they froze him out. So I think that's what just kept brewing into what eventually later led to the whole hate of he's not playing on the Dream Team, so on and so forth. Um, Leach, one more thing you can add before we move on. 
So, yeah. Um, Isaiah wasn't exactly a saint when it came to all that stuff. Um, if I go further in time, and, and, and maybe as a Bulls fan, a huge Bulls fan during that time, I have some feelings towards Isaiah uh, that may or may not be valid. Mm. Okay? But um, Isaiah is a guy who maybe he did that and froze Jordan out and Jordan remembered it, whatever the case may be. But um, he has been, or he was a jerk. Whether it's walking out without shaking hands, spreading rumors about Magic Johnson and who Magic Johnson really was at a very difficult time in his life as a best friend, as somebody who was always talked about as my best friend in life is Isaiah Thomas. Um, for me, looking back at all of that, I, I say it's difficult for me to give him the benefit of the doubt to say, hey, um, he didn't have anything to do with the freeze out. But Isaiah Thomas hasn't been a good guy. Excellent. And to add to that, I think his legacy, too, is the Larry Bird comments, right? Where he told he said Larry Bird would be an average player if he's a black player. Right. I mean, yep. Isaiah has always been a controversial person after Indiana, right? After Indiana. And he has the persona. He's, he smiles. He's, a, you know, seems like a good, genuine dude. He's a winner. I mean, let's not get it wrong. Guys at the top level, when you're at that top level, you have to have cutthroat. And he's got cutthroat. There's no question. You know, even after his playing career, this guy has been in trouble. He's ran organizations into the ground. There's been women issues. There's been there's been so many things that he's done that's walked a fine line that it's hard to argue for him. Now, you can't talk anything negatively about his playing career because he was a hell of a player. When you just base it on stats, da, 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 whatever you want to base it on, one of the best point guards that's ever played. He's, he's up there, especially in that generation. But overall, when you look at him, compare him to today's point guards, you talk, you, you walk him in front of Chris Falls, you know, any of these guys, he's going to cook those guys. He, he is that good. But, and he was a winner. But he brought a lot of baggage to the table, and Chuck Daly could manage that along with all the bad boys, somehow, some way. I don't know how he did it. I have no clue. If anybody asked me what was in Chuck Daly's mind, I don't have it. But... He, he was he was something else. So to play into what you guys are talking about, when you guys were talking about the West Coast offense or the Western part of the NBA, how it was a free-flowing offense and the East was a more bang offense, slow it down, I really believe it comes down to the cities that they're in. New York, you, you had that rough, tough style of basketball that they always carry. And then Detroit, when you look at Detroit, you think of Detroit as murder capital of the world, you know, the Motor City, blue collar. They play right into that whole bad boy thing. And I think Isaiah just 
got the short end of the stick because it was all about timing. And frankly, he came into the league when, like we said, the, the, the two best of the best. I don't know if you guys know this, and I might want to save this for a bonus question, but how the league was operated and kind of catered to have it West Coast, L.A. versus Boston. I don't know if you guys heard those stories, but we'll, we'll throw that for next week or, or another podcast where we talk about how the, the, the system was set up for the NBA to be a Boston versus uh, uh, L.A. But, Greg, did you have one more word? Uh, I was going to pile on Isaiah, but <laughs> um, I will pass. Okay. I will pass. Good, good. Mike, did you have anything else? All right. So Mike was old enough for Isaiah. That's the hard part. That's the hard part for Mike here. These young coaches, they haven't had the chance to grow up through this generation. Good, good. All right. So, so ultimately, Isaiah had three times to play in the finals. He won two and he lost one. My question is, why isn't his name brought up into the conversation of greatest players ever. And did him and his teammates and their style of play somewhat tarnish his legacy? Or is it a combination of not enough championships plus the bad boy style of play? Also, what message can players take from all of this? Michael, let's let you dive in right away. So being the youngest in this, and as Corey and Coach Leach have reminded me all already on the podcast, all 48 minutes that I wasn't old enough to know about the game of Isaiah, <laughs> um, I will, I, just taking a high-level thoughts about it, I would say it's a combination of everything. If you look at it, and I'm not saying this in a bad sense, but he wasn't on the main stage dominating consistently over the point of time. Yes, Isaiah dominated when you look at stats, right? But he wasn't winning, right? That, and a lot of people were, I would say, were upset with the style of play. Like, talking to Coach Leach about it, and he was an avid Bulls fan, your star player getting beat up night in, night out, going through this team, like, listen, dude, screw you. You, you're great. You're, yeah. you're, you're dominant. <laughs> yeah. But screw you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's what I would think. I would say just thinking it's a combination of, of everything, not enough finals appearances, um, as well as, as uh, the bad boy style of play. Yeah. But, but, and Mike, so what, can, what type of message can players take from this? So you got the rough style of play and you're winning, which is okay. But when it came time for you to compete in the Eastern Conference Finals and you lost four games to zero to the Chicago Bulls, who you beat the previous two years that you won a championship, and now that you get beat, you leave the court with 7.9 seconds left to go. You didn't shake hands, and you kind of bring up the fact that that's the way the league always operated. And you mention basically that Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics did it to you previously. What type of message does that send to the players? And does that kind of tarnish his legacy 
when it comes to greatest of all of all times? I um I think so. To say that I say Isaiah was wrong in that scenario, um, because to me, outside looking in, he was just upset he lost. And it happens. You have to respect the fact, you know, that you lost. You. Um, so just walking away is not. It's not unless there was a specific reason behind it. Then that's debatable. And you can't just. You can't always say, "Well, this person did it," and this person. No, but right now we're focused on you and what and what happened in this scenario. Um, but for high school players, um, or any players, I would say, um, your style of play, you can be a physical, every coach knows you, you have a physical player, and that's cool, there's nothing wrong with it, it's not mean you're a dirty or bad player, but you can still be respectful. I think it comes down to how you carry yourself after that, after the style of play, like still, still respect the game, respect your opponent, do all of those respectful things, I think that, that's the bigger message beyond style of play. Okay. Uh, Corey, want to jump in on this one? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I don't know that we're not mentioning Isaiah Thomas among the greats. You know, the debate usually comes down to who's the greatest. And when we talk about the greatest, you know, you've got Michael Jordan. You've got Kobe Bryant, today's generation LeBron James. And I think it's generational when we look at it. The hard part for Isaiah is in that generation – he was sandwiched between three very good <laughs> players. You've got Magic, Bird, and Michael. <laughs> you know, it, if you're not the greatest of your generation, it's really hard to be talked about as the greatest of all time or one of the top three, four greats. You talk about Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, those type of guys. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in that time frame, too, at the end of his career. So, to me, Isaiah is one of the greatest winners of all time. He's one of the greatest winners of all time. Antics or not, the stuff that go, the bad boys were, all that. When Isaiah laced it up, you didn't want to play against him. And, you know, those are, as a coach, you want to be hard to play against, easy to play with. And he was both, right? He was both. Yep. Both. No, No question. His teammates loved him. They would die for him. And I think the question should more be, where does he fit in the long run of what great basketball players are? He's one of the greatest winners that's ever played. He is. He really is. He, he, he willed two teams at the end of his career to two NBA championships and almost a third at a time of three of the greatest dynasties we've ever seen in NBA basketball. Excellent. Great. Okay. So I completely agree with what Corey's saying. Um, if you if you remember back to the documentary where they spoke about Jordan and what Jordan was doing and Mark Eaton and uh, Walt Frazier, I'm guessing now, spoke about how Jordan was not going to make a difference because he wasn't seven foot. We're talking about a guy in, in Isaiah Thomas that came before Jordan and probably not six foot. He's probably 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, and he made that difference. And I think because um, Isaiah Thomas was a jerk or in, in uh, my vernacular, an asshole, 
during the time he played, people don't look at him like that. But the NBA at that time is completely different than the NBA today. Mm -hmm. You didn't have free agency. You built a team through a draft. And Isaiah worked his way. He worked his way from the early to mid-80s and started pecking away, pecking away, getting experience, gaining gaining players as, as the years went on, and you eventually overtook somebody. And... I mean, anybody, a, a Detroit fan would tell you that they should probably have three in a row. Mm. And I think that he is not looked upon as one of the greatest in that era. Because people have now looked past and gone to 15, 20 years beyond where he had the magic issue, the dream team issue with Jordan. And all of those things have tarnished his reputation, but as a basketball player, that guy was one of the best to play in his era, in my opinion. Hey, I I, I strongly I strongly agree with all of you guys. I really loved Isaiah Thomas, um, that rough style of play uh, that they they played. That's kind of what I grew up on playing out at Lincoln Park. Um, I wore the number 11 because somebody told me that I played like Isaiah Thomas when I was young, always keeping the low dribble. Uh, but I think all of you guys are exactly right. When it comes down to being, you know, that face of the NBA, when you talk about the Magics, the Birds, and then Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordans, your style of play and what you do, and how you treat others and how you respect the game can carry your legacy far after you finish playing, but it also can cut it off. And for me, I think Isaiah's career, his relevancy to basketball ended when he walked off the court. If you if you think about it, anything that he did after, because he didn't retire right after that that season, anything that he did after he left the court was seven point nine seconds is not even relevant to what he did those ten those ten years went before that, and I think that's what really tarnished his legacy. You teach kids all day long from kindergarten to whenever. Make sure you shake hands after the game, whether you're in elementary, junior high, high school, middle school, college. You always talk about sportsmanship and you always and if any player doesn't shake a hand or something like that, there's always that talk that you have with those players. And you talk about the respect. You talk about this. You talk about that. And that's what I want, you know, our listeners to remember. Isaiah was a great player, an amazing player. But there is one decision that you can make that really can tarnish your legacy where nobody's even talking about the game in 1988 that Michael mentioned earlier. Twisted, busted ankle, taped it back up, came back out and scored 25 in one quarter against a really good team in the 80s. So nobody even remembers those games because all the focus has been on here it is. 
You were dominating the league. Your team got two back-to-back championships. And Michael Jordan, who you were get beaten up on uh, to get to those championships, finally beat you. And you don't give him the respect and him and his teammates to shake hands. Urgh. And and then you and then they talk about the dream team and how he should have been on it. Dude, the way you played it, you played yourself. And that's what we want the young listeners to to hear and really take into consideration. This sportsmanship goes a long way. You win gracefully, you lose gracefully. Uh, ultimately, you got to respect the game. Be good to the game, and the game will be good to you. Well, and you look at the dream team. <laughs> when kids talk about they want to be recruited, da, da, da. It, it comes down to putting the better, together the best team. And it doesn't mean if you're the best player. And you look at Michael Jordan, greatest player probably already in 85, 86, 86. He's probably the best player in the NBA already then. And Akeem Olajuwon was one of the greater players then. But they didn't have the teams around them to win at that high level. And it's so important to, to be a good citizen. Your legacy is everything. And when Isaiah Thomas looks back now, you can tell. I mean, he's he's flat out lying in a <laughs> in a documentary, um, and you see the feelings towards him uh, of how things went down. And to me, it, it says a lot about what his character is and who he is as a person. And I could never go to bat for him as somebody. <laughs> as a coach, you want players that are winners and, and are. On and off the floor. Yep. Greg, close us out. I could never, as Corey said, I could never go to bat for Isaiah for those things that he did. Um, certainly not as a Bulls fan. Um, <laughs> but you have to, I mean, I'm trying to objectively look at Isaiah Thomas and what that team achieved and what the NBA was truly about at that time. It was about the bad boys. It was about defense. I, I can't tell you the amount of pregame shows I watched that said, you're going to go to the hole in the playoffs and you're going to get hit. You're going to get knocked down. The NBA loved it. And so in that moment of time, in, in that moment of time, he made the wrong choice. It was the worst thing he could have done for his career, as Corey said. But, in, but thinking as him and talking to Lambeer, because the Lambeer was the guy who didn't have the legacy Thomas had. But he said, hey, man, we've been built. This whole thing has been built on the bad boys. And bad boys are going to walk out of here and not shake anybody's hand. Thomas, (laughs) for that few seconds, got caught up in that and said, you're right. Unfortunately, he was wrong, and it's ruined his legacy. And it's... It's uh, it's sad because Thomas was much greater than what people look at him today. True story, Michael. Go ahead. <laughs> Just to, to to bring it full circle, Coach Leach, I think you put that in an excellent excellent storyline. But just for kids, high school kids, or any kids, or any listeners that we may have that may not even play the game, one decision in a moment could potentially ruin. You know, all these great things that all the, the these great accomplishments that you had. 
one poor decision just because of, and I'm not saying, and maybe we don't know, Isaiah, they could have just caught him off guard. Think about how many times somebody's like, oh, you tripping, go, go tell this person whatever. You tell them all, not thinking like, hey, I was just in a moment, but that could potentially ruin your career, your lifestyle, your legacy. Um, so just one thing that I try to be mindful of is always be mindful of the effect of your actions and your words because you never know how that can play into something big. Excellent. Thank you for those tips, fellas. Um, so all the things that we talk about, we always want to uh, bring it back to to make sure that we're empowering players, whether they're uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college, pro players, uh, because basketball is a game that can take you to many places. Basketball is also a game that can uh, ban you from many places, and <laughs> we want to uh, we want to keep the important things important, and that's one of the lessons that you have to take from this is that the decisions you make are bigger than you, uh, and as simple as that. Um, so. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast tonight. We have two, uh, I would say, extensive questions um, that hopefully we can kind of rip through in the next 30 minutes. I know it's going to be difficult, but this is the best 90 minutes of somebody's day. And we want to keep that. We want to keep it to to those 90 minutes. Um, So. We're going we're gonna to go to commercial for right now before we dive in, and, and then we'll be back shortly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. You can be more podcast. This is the second segment. Now we can get into the last dance. Those were the bonus questions that we had in that first segment, and um, it really got into the talks of Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and he's one of the greatest players of all time, but... Things he did might have tarnished his legacy. So let's move into the last dance talk. Fellas, we got a very extensive question here, and it can go many different ways. Uh, Again, this is the best 90 minutes of somebody's day listening to our podcast. So let's shoot this question out to him. Has this documentary, in your opinion, showed what, what Michael Jordan said or what you anticipated about the talks of what Michael Jordan said. He was in an interview and he said, he's afraid that this documentary is going to show a side that people haven't seen of him. And he's going to, he thinks that people are going to think badly of him. Have you guys seen that yet? Michael, we're going to go to you. And just, just for clarification, folks, this is not Michael Jordan. This is Michael Holden. Shout out to our corporate sponsors. Um, so I was I was one of those guys. I think I sent it to the group chat um, just saying how George was saying people are going to call him an a-hole and all of this, you know, after watching the documentary. So I really, to be honest, I was looking for like, well, what, what was it? What, what are we seeing? And I think just thinking through it, talking through it, talking to a couple of buddies, I would say Jordan's competitiveness was was dominant in his life. And Jordan, I think Jordan, if you look at his playing career, 
He wanted to win above everything else. Um, now, my heart goes out to Jordan because it doesn't seem like he enjoyed it. Yes, he enjoyed the ending, the end goal of the championship. But in those processes and during those times, I don't know if he really got to experience it and have fun. So you look at those guys like LeBron and those guys. Could you say LeBron's having fun during his NBA season? Yes. And I'm and I'm not knocking Jordan. I just I guess my heart goes out to him because it just doesn't seem like during those some of those moments he really got to enjoy it. Um, and I think in the first podcast I was on, I called Jordan a jerk. But I think now now looking at it, I think Jordan wanted to do what he had to do to get the best out of his teammates. And Jordan's end goal was win at all costs. Like my, how Malcolm X said, by any means necessary. And I think that's what Jordan wanted to do. Did he do it the best way? It's hard to argue because he got results. So that's what I think that kind of Jordan statement as of the first four episodes have showed me. Like he wanted to win and compete, and he was going to do what he had to do to get the best out of you. That may hurt your feelings. That may not. But I think Jordan said also in, the, in one of the docuseries is, you know, I need to know that you're pretty much you're tough. Because if you ain't going to be tough in here, come battle, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do. But that's my thing. So I think Jordan was competitive, but my heart goes out. I just don't know if he truly enjoyed it besides the win, the end goal of the championship. Okay. Um, so, Corey, we're going to go to you with this question. So with those quotes uh, or the quotes about rise to MJ's level of competitiveness, does that help his teammates? Yeah, I think so. I think I think uh, when you look at you know teams that have a player that is as great as Michael, and there's not been many. Um, when they set the standard, that makes for a great team. When the coach has to set the standard, it never achieves that standard. However, when a coach a player sets that standard, they achieve it. Um, and I look back at what Michael was saying. That he didn't get to enjoy it. Well, at that time, the NBA told him what his persona had to be. I don't think the public knew how much of a killer, really, that Michael was. They didn't understand that. And I think that's where Michael was going with the idea of the the public may not like me now after the fact. Because I don't think people understood how competitive he is, was, and is going to be. And um, because they had to sell the the shoes, the jerseys, the tickets, and he changed basketball. He's changed sports. We've talked about this before. And, uh, you know, as a teammate setting that standard, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have never seen something wrong with a player pushing the players around him to the point of break. Now, the strong will survive. There's no question at all. The strong will survive. That's part of life. Um, but I, I think the persona that Michael was worried about, I don't think today that we're saying, oh, my God, this is new news, unless if you really have never watched basketball. Because what he's saying is what every coach wants. They want their best player to push the rest of their teammates to their extent to what they can't do and through because the best are really good at being uncomfortable. Okay. Um, 
And the question was asked in that way because uh, th- those there are good players out there. They're great players out there. But a lot of players uh, don't necessarily want to be pushed further than what they, you know, they're pushed because they think that they're already working their hardest or working hard enough. Uh, Greg mentioned in the last episode that Coach uh, Roy Williams said, hey, I thought you said you wanted to be the greatest player that ever played here, not what you did in high school. So uh, when you look at the greatest players, I often ask myself, why does nobody want to play with Kobe Bryant? Why isn't everybody going over there, you know? And why does everybody want to play with LeBron James? And when you think about it, it comes down to that killer instinct, that killer mentality. And that's why that question came out there, because I think it could, I mean, yeah, it could be helpful, but it could be harmful. Horace Grant was quoted on a radio show uh, some years back where he said that Michael Jordan is a tough player to play with. He said he'll ride you to, to success, but he'll also ride you out of the league. Uh, so that's why I asked, you know, does that help your teammates? Okay. Um, so you got the breakfast club that was created. Obviously that breakfast club is down, uh, mornings in MJ's, uh, basement where he's working out in his weight room and going all out. And then they said, if you do well there, you get to get invited up for breakfast. So does Scottie Pippen and the Ron Harpers and the Horace Grants and the other players, do they have that same success, Greg, if they played in another team without Michael Jordan? So let me let me start by saying that, you know, I read something somewhere that Jordan would not lift weights in front of his teammates when he first started because he was not strong. He was weak. Mm. He did not want to show that <clears throat> to his teammates. So that's how he ended up working with uh, Grover. Because I'm not gonna show you that I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm here on the basketball floor. I'm better than you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna demand things of you. You can't see me as being weak. And I sat and thought about that for a while. It had to be a bitch to live in his mind because most of the time you were not reaching your potential um so when it comes to the breakfast club though to your question brandon uh i think that i think it was a it's a great thing you need to be able to get whoever you can on board and say hey you know, those four or five guys, whoever it was, we're sitting down. We've got this goal in mind. We're working towards it every single day. If I've got six guys with me and I have six guys somewhere else, those six guys are on an island. Mm. You're either going to get with me or you're not. And I go back to the question that you, you threw out to everybody was, was it a great thing or was it a bad thing that they went out 
after losing to the Pistons in seven, which if you guys paid attention to Jordan's response to the migraine game, he was upset. And that was a Who had the migraine? Point that out. Scotty Pippen. <laughs> and Scotty and, and that was a huge hit, I think, within the team, at least Michael Jordan. And in the city of Chicago, that you had this migraine and you couldn't perform in one of the biggest situations when we needed you. Um, anyway, I think because of all that, the Breakfast Club and getting together and doing those things, I think they had to do that. It had to be a catharsis for all those guys to clear everything that happened and say, hey, we went to the seventh game and we lost. Forget whatever reason why, but we are moving forward and we're starting today. And I, to your question, Brandon, I truly believe if they had not done that, I'm not so sure that they would have been in the championship or won the title that following year. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that's deep. Um, so you answered uh, two questions in one. So I still want to throw it out there, and that's to any one of you guys. Would Scottie Pippen, would Horace Grant, would any of these guys have the career that they had? Would they still have that career if they did not play with Michael Jordan? Michael. No way. No way Scotty no has that same type of career. No way. No way. And I I just I think Jordan brought something out of those guys that they hadn't experienced before. Um and I think it speaks to so when you look at and I always try to relate it back to players in current day age. If it's very rare, depending on the kid, if you're on a kid, if you're on a team and a bunch of your kids are going out partying and chasing everything else but the game of basketball, how many how many times is that one kid? Is it easier for that one kid just to follow the crowd or to put that extra work ethic in? So when you talk about Jordan, Horace Grant, and Pippen, Jordan instilled work ethic in him, and he didn't just talk about it; he showed it. He sh- when you look at Kobe or some of those guys. They showed work ethic. It's not just lip service. This is what I do. And, we, and so I think I, I don't know their work ethic, but I just don't know if it if it was at that level had they never met Jordan. I think that's what it comes down to. I think that's the, the essence of the question is if you look at what Jordan instilled in his teammates, I think he instilled competitive and a winning attitude that I just don't know if some of those guys had. Thanks. And hopefully, hopefully the the younger generation is watching Michael Jordan's teammates and how they're answering these questions. Uh, Horace Grant put it best. He said, this is the greatest player ever in the game right now. And if he's working this hard in the weight room and before practice and then and during practice, this is just practice that he's going that hard. What do you think I got to do? So that's, that's a great point. Um, 
uh, Michael that you bring up that, yeah, it's tough to say if they would have had that same type of career. Uh, Corey, we're going to let you touch on it, and then we're going to move to the next question. I look at it as a comparison of when Kobe came into the league. You know, so you look at the roles that Scotty and Horace and all these guys played. Look at the L.A. Clippers at the same exact time. You had Q Richardson, mm-hmm. Darius Miles. You had Corey Maggette. Elton Brand. This team that was supposed to become a, a force, right? But they didn't have that great competitor next to them to say, this is what we're going to do. Yep. And you look at those guys' careers, I think a lot of these guys that weren't compared with a guy like Kobe, with a guy like Isaiah, with a guy like Larry, Magic, Michael, those those role guys would go by the wayside like those guys did for the Clippers. Ooh. You would have seen the same type of career path along the way. Now, is that a guarantee? No, I think Scottie Pippen is one of the top 25 players that we've ever seen play in the NBA. I don't think there's any question with that, with his skill level, his talent, all the things. I mean, he led the Bulls to 50-plus wins without Michael. But we would remember a lot of those guys that way. And the Clippers had all of the talent, all of the pieces, but they didn't have that that alpha male, the king of the Lion Hill, that would take them to, you know what, instead of being in the club until 4 a.m., we're going to be in the gym until 12. Then we'll go to the club, and then we're going home, and we're going to get up early and we're going to go again. Excellent, excellent. Um, so this last question, we have about 10 minutes for uh, 15 minutes tops. But again, it ties back into our bonus questions. Um, when you got Horace Grant and other Chicago Bulls players and other players around the NBA, both active, retired, uh, even future NBA players have been weighing on this. Uh, they still have ill feelings towards Isaiah Thomas. Okay. And the Detroit Pistons, uh, you know, that style of basketball and then walking off the court with 7.9 seconds left to go. Okay. A lot of, a lot of players been tweeting about it because everybody's watching the last dance. Um, you guys have any comments to that? Any further comments? And Isaiah Thomas, I don't know. He kind of tried to justify it and, and kind of thinking that, you know, this was the right decision to make. Why? Because this is the way the league was. And basically Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics did this to me in previous. So he's still justifying it today, which is like, what, 30 years later uh, that it's okay to walk off. Now, I think we all can agree that Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics were wrong uh, to do that to Isaiah Thomas when those guys finally beat them and got over that hump. Um, But what are the comments that you guys have to say as far as, you know, was the Pistons right about this because of the times? Or do they know right from wrong? Like, well, speak more to that because this has been a heavy topic on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm trying to explain to people on Facebook yesterday and today, and 
I mean, it's just been the, it's been the heaviest topic out there. Greg, what do you got? So, I don't agree with it. Um, and I had intense dislike for what happened because ultimately you compete whatever you know whatever happens that we don't know of as fans doesn't matter you compete you give everything you got and at the end of the day whether i like you or i don't like you i respect your effort i respect what you put out on the floor and hey great game great series you won congratulations i think I think so much in our lives is based off of having that base respect. Uh, the one thing I'd like to throw out at you is Joe Dumars hung around. Chuck Daly hung around. As I said earlier, you know, Lambeer and Isaiah got caught up in the bad boys type thing. And we, we got to be bad boys. We did this. We've won back to back and we're bad boys and we're going to continue that. We're going to go out as um, that group but uh, it's not right and I think if you could get Isaiah off camera and just say hey do you do you really believe that I, I don't think that you would get the same response that you get on TV today um, Bill Lambeer He's got that. That guy's got nothing to lose. He was a two-bit player <laughs> in a group, in, in a really talented group, and and then that team kind of fell off because, other than Rodman, and I don't even include Sally, Rodman was the only real athletic guy they had. They had a lot of guys that weren't athletic, but they were very good. And, and they had a lot of time on those wheels. And it came up, and hey, we just don't have it anymore. But that's fine. Thomas and Lambeer, you went with it. That's good. But over the long haul in basketball, that's not the right thing to do. I'm not looking for my legacy as bad boys. I'm looking to say, hey, I competed. I gave you everything I had for the last five whatever years. And you beat me, congratulations. I think if we don't have that in high school, college, NBA basketball, then we're missing some. Anybody else can add to that? Michael or Corey? Well, I, you know, I would say to me uh, that idea of sportsmanship we don't have to like each other between the lines. You don't have to. When we line it up, we we should want to beat each other. That's what it's about. But uh, at the end of the day, we're humans. And um, I think people have lost a little bit of that sense. Even when I see parents in the crowd and some of those type of things where they're cussing out kids or coaches and a win or a loss. A basketball game is important. Don't get me wrong. We work really hard to do what we do and care about what we do. But as a character person, I think it's really important to go, hey, we got beat. 
sometimes our team is just better than you. Yep. Or sometimes they beat you. Or sometimes, you know what, we just didn't have the luck. And when we walk through the line, it is what it is. This is this is important. And showing that respect to each other after a fight. I mean, you had the gladiators, you know, back in ancient Rome fighting each other. And a guy is dying and they show their share of appreciation to each other. You know, and appreciating the dead. And even as a basketball player, obviously we're not to that extent, but we, when we walk off the floor, we're still humans and still enjoy. I mean, I think the biggest rivalries I've ever played against in my life are still people that I talk to to this day because we respect what we've seen and done throughout. And we respect what it took to beat each other. And winners respect winners. True. True. Michael. So just to piggyback off what the what the other two coaches have said, I think it becomes uh, just I'm gonna jump right into what Corey said and try to touch on what Coach Lee said. I think that to me it's so fun playing competing against those that you know. Why is it fun? Of course for bragging rights, right? Why else is it fun? It's because you know, I know. So, for instance, you know, going up, coaching against a rivalry school, you know, as we all have them, you know the equity, sweat equity, the long nights, and the practice plan and game plans that those coaches put in. You know that. You know that going into it, you know it. And, it, and to say, hey, I'm going to give it my all. You give it your all. At the end of the day, like Corey said, we're both winners. Uh, we're both competing. That's what Coach Brandon would say. We're both competing at the highest level. We're trying to do what we can do. As Coach Leach, as I've learned, you know, I may not respect what you do in some aspects. I may not, but I respect the game of basketball. I think it becomes a, a gray area to what do you do when the person disrespected you, but you still need to show respect to the game. Mm. Um, I think that's that's a, that's a. What Coach Leach is the first time on the podcast. You can jump in. No, I want to ask Brandon a question. Is Brandon played at D one level? Okay, so you're in that in that situation where. You have, let's just say for a conference championship, you have worked your ass off for three years, but lost every year. And every year, you were a man, and you shook hands and you said congratulations. But the fourth year came, and you had your group, your team, and you won. And then it's not, I mean, I don't know if people remember, but it's not as if the Pistons walked that way away from the Bulls. They literally walked inches past the Bulls. So in that situation, Brandon, as that happens and you have finally overcome, you've respected when they beat you and you have finally reached the pinnacle and you won and they walk right by you. What's your response? Uh, <laughs> I think, 
to be honest, because I grew up, you know, idolizing Michael Jordan, I think I would have handled it the same way him and the Bulls did. Number one, I, you know, you're shocked and you're surprised and you may be anticipating that they're going to come over and say something as they're, they're leaving out. Uh, but then they didn't. You know, I, I think I would have just let it be that. Um, so I was extremely competitive, as I always say in every every segment. Uh, but I can remember in college. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny because Aaron Turner is from Kenosha, and he ended up going to the same junior college that I went to and played baseball. Every Friday, we do our individual workouts, team workouts, whatever, and then we would run like a mile and a half, which was around the campus. And we're going up the hill, and it was always two other players, me, a guy from Omaha, and this guy from out east. These guys all jump on Aaron Turner's... uh, (laughs) These guys jump on Aaron Turner's truck, and he gives them a ride up the hill. Okay. He even right up the hill. So I tell me, me and the other two fellas, I said, let's go. Let's turn it up. We sprint out ahead of them. And, of course, we have to pass these guys up. Get back to the spot where the 1.5 miles are is. And, and we're back at, at our, our practice gym. And we're sitting there. And it was like, you want to go in? And uh, he said, no, let's sit here and wait. They're going to have to see us when they do get here. So it was nothing about talking or saying, dude, we still beat y'all or anything like that. It was just like kind of how the Bulls played it. Hey, you still got to see us. In the end, there's nothing to say. You already know what what happened. So I think if in college and that happened to me, I think I would play it the same way. Those guys played it. Let 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 it be that their time is over. So it's done. It's a wrap. Hopefully, I would have played it that way. All right, fellas. Uh, I do want to leave you guys with some some closing comments. Uh, and those closing comments have to do with Dennis Rodman uh, episodes. Three and four was really a lot about Dennis Rodman. And we didn't get to talk about him. Um, However, we do want to bring him into our next segment next week. What do you guys think about the Bulls bringing in Dennis Rodman and trying to go after another? I'm not even going to say they're going after another three-peat, but to accomplish another three-peat. What do you guys think about picking him up and then seeing the way he behaved. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Mike, go ahead. So I read a quote that's is so I was thinking about Dennis Rodman. I think immediately, Coach Lee, correct me if I'm wrong, watching this documentary in the first ten minutes, I said, Man, I got a new respect for Dennis, the worm. I got a new respect for him. But I saw a quote today or they're sharing a story. MJ said, you know, they were going through layup line, right? Typical, nothing, nothing great, nothing, you know, players shoot jump shots. Say, and MJ said, yo, Dennis, you need to get in here and get some layups too. And they said, no, I'm studying the rotations of the ball. When he shoots it, it's three, it rotates three times and it comes off to the left. 
when you shoot it, it's two and a half to three, but it comes off to the right. I'm studying this so I know in a game situation how many times a ball rotates and where I need to get, where I need to position myself. I was thinking, like, I've heard, I've seen a lot of basketball, I've watched a lot of different things, but I've never heard somebody say they studied the art of rebounding. I was taught when you shoot it on the right side, you get to the left because that's where it's typically going to bounce off of. But that's not the case for every shot. I mean, it was just so, and MJ said it in the quote I read that Dennis Rodman took rebounding IQ to something that's off the charts and nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty deep. Uh, Corey, you got anything? You know, Dennis Rodman, for all the, the craziness, you look at the teams he's been on and what he's done, you talk about a winner. <laughs> he did all the winning plays. You watch a game, he's diving on the floor, he's getting a tough rebound. He's, you line him up against the greatest rebounders of all time, pound for pound, size for size. It's Dennis Rodman. There, there's nobody that's won that many rebounding championships in a row in the modern era at that size. And, and he's what Draymond Green wishes he could be. Um, you know, Dennis could guard every position. He guarded everybody. He guarded everybody from Magic to Shaq to... He, he would take every guy out of the game. That's what he did. And um, to me... Adding Dennis Rodman was an upgrade from Horace Grant. Boom, upgrade. And I think adding him to that puzzle made them the greatest team of all time. Even with a lot of bit pieces. Tony Kukoc was a big part of that too, Ron Harper. But adding Dennis Rodman to the equation, you have three first-team All-NBA defenders. Three. Mm. With MJ, Scotty, and him. There's never, ever been a team in NBA history that's ever had that. And there will never be another NBA team in history that has that. Um, it, it just it, it made them unbeatable at the toughest time of the toughest game. Great. Okay. Um, so, Corey hit on everything. Perfect. And I was thinking earlier today, you lose Horace Grant, who I think was overpaid. He happened to get his new contract as the uh, TV, NBA TV money became prevalent. Um, but there is nobody, in my opinion, that the Bulls could have picked up at that position that would have allowed them to win three more championships. I just, I, if somebody could throw somebody, if somebody on this podcast can throw a name out to me, and tell me how the Bulls could get that person without taking away from what they currently had. And I know he was a, he, I, I mean, I know he had some run-ins at uh, with the Spurs. And I, I'm not sure if he was a free agent at that time or if he got traded. But there is nobody out there that would have allowed the Bulls to go three more in a row if it wasn't for Robin. That's key. Uh, and Robin said it himself. <laughs> there's no three. Uh, there's no three P without him. Um, I think it does say a lot about also uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. 
can you imagine having a teammate like Dennis Rodman? I'm sorry. It says a lot about Dennis Rodman of what Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen thought about Dennis Rodman. Anytime you get two of the best players on the planet and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen to get on a plane, go out to Vegas, know where this dude is and what hotel and to go to his room and knock on his door uh and to and to get him out of the bed and say hey Dennis come on man we we got to go let's let's get on this flight and uh we we got we got practice and then from the show up to practice in pajamas and, and flip-flops as if like we don't even got practice like you playing on one of the greatest teams ever and you just strolling in but again again to Dennis Rodman's credit he didn't look like he missed not one beat. He was still far ahead of everybody in that in the whole Indian drill that they were running. And I mean, what an incredible athlete Dennis Robin was. Uh, go ahead. Can we tell stories just based off of what we saw? Sure. I I did not laugh. The greatest laugh I had in watching those two hours on Sunday was when Robin came back from Vegas. And Jordan had told everybody, hey, slow down. Robin's been gone for a while because uh, Jackson had him running. (laughs) The whistle blew. The guy at the end had to pass everybody. Yep. And so, hey, understand where he's been. We're gonna we're gonna play the game, and then when the whistle blew finally, and Rodman had to come from the back to the front, was sprinting as hard as he could, <laughs> and everybody's looking around like, "What the hell?" I mean, that's the kind of athlete that guy was. He spent I don't know how many hours, how many days in Vegas, and he came back the very next day, and he was beating everybody that had been practicing for how long? Right. <laughs> With that running style, with that running style, by the way, that running style, yeah, <laughs> elbows out, thumbs up. Uh, he, ran, he ran like Coach Morris. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, man, what a crazy, what a crazy athlete and, and an excellent teammate. And I think, uh, go ahead, Coach Corey. The other part I think about that, Coach Leach, when you talk about that, is how much Coach Jackson into how great they were because he was somehow able to rein him in with Scotty and Jordan and involve his best players and make them feel empowered enough to pull a guy like Dennis Rodman in that's dating Madonna, dating Carmen Electra, doing all this crazy stuff at the pro level. When you talk about the pro level, you're not dealing... Players are very good. You don't have to teach the skill. Now it's more so managing the ego and Phil Jackson was able to somehow rein all these personalities in, which great coaches do. And I've, I've had the greatness, the great ability to be able to see that. Um, and if you can do that, man, it, it creates something special. And Phil Jackson, to me, that makes him one of the greatest of all time because he was able to pull those type of personalities in. How do you rein Dennis Rodman in? Hey, go to Vegas for 48 hours. Come back. We'll see you in a little bit. 
he doesn't come back in 40 hours. Hey, Michael, my best player of all time, why don't you just go catch him? <laughs> go knock on his door, bring him back. You know where he's at. Go get him, come back, and we'll figure this out. How do you, how do you write that script? I don't think you can. As a coach, how many coaches? I mean, we get high school coaches that are saying, oh, this kid was 10 minutes late to practice. Well, you know, maybe, you know, Phil Jackson's idea was, well, maybe practice was scheduled at the wrong time. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Let me put this to Brandon. No, let me put this to Brandon, since he hasn't been talking too much. But, Brandon, can you imagine somebody comes to you in that situation in a season, very important, you know, you're looking to make, you've got goals. And a guy comes to you middle of the season and says, Coach, I need a vacation. <laughs> and, and, and you laugh now because you, you're, you're thinking Rodman and NBA, but high school coaches see that all the time. Right. Somebody comes in and says, hey, my parents are, we're, we're going on vacation, we're going to Florida, I'm going to miss this game and that game. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. But... Think about how, as Corey said, how, how somebody like a, a Chuck Daly or a Phil Jackson handled that mm. to where it wasn't an issue. But for you, Brandon, I mean, how do you how do you deal with something like that in the midst of team goals, midseason? We're moving forward. We're progressing. This is what we want. And you're telling me you need a vacation of four days with your parents. Yeah. Um, I think for a coach to, if, if, if I, I mean, I'm the coach and you're asking me this, I think it comes down to, um, I guess ultimately believing in your players and making, uh, the rest of those players that haven't been getting playing time or whoever the next man up, it's to kind of prove it, prove their worth, and and then eventually uh, hold that man, whoever it is that went on vacation. I don't care how good he is, hold him to the fire a little bit, uh, and see how well he produces when he comes back. Uh, I I actually had a situation like that. One of my starters uh, had to miss a couple games uh, for like vacation and. You know, we held him to the fire, and when he came back, he didn't get a starting spot back. He wasn't getting the minutes he were getting. Uh, and surprisingly, because he's such a great kid uh, and he got great parents, he really bust his ass and continued to prove his worth and, and just continue to go all out and continue to challenge every one of the players that was playing in front of him. Uh, but that's really tough, man. That's tough to, to put your coach or put me in that situation and we get we get it all the time and there's nothing that you can dispute about it's not like i can take your paycheck um the most i can do is 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 you know take your playing time it actually it happens every year yep and i asked it because i see it every year yep and, uh back when you were with me i remember telling a, a certain kid hey i'm with it you're, you're chasing a, a dream with soccer. I'm with you. Um, but give me the right to say that when you've overstepped, then I got to be able to reel you back in. 
And if that means not starting or whatever the case may be, hey, I'm supportive. Honestly, God, and really I was. So I'm supportive. Go do what you got to do. Yep. If it's vacation with family uh, because of certain things, or if I'm going with my family here because I'm, I'm doing another sport, I'm with you. Yep. There, there, there comes a point where I lose credibility with the kids I'm coaching if I just let it ride. Yep, exactly. And so I just, I, I mean, I wanted to hear what, what your thoughts were um, because, honestly, you and I see that every year. And, 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 and go back to my time, which was the mid-'80s, and to your time, um, that stuff didn't happen. No. God, I mean, no. if there was if there was time off, as Rodman wanted, uh, it wasn't done during basketball season. I mean, we practiced on Thanksgiving and Christmas. We didn't care, right? <laughs> uh, Corey. Well, you know, and I, you know, I was being a little facetious with, you know, hey, Phil Jackson's adjusting to Dennis Rodman, but at the end of the day, as a player. You want to be accountable. You want to understand when practice is supposed to be, show up, do the right thing. The NBA is a whole other animal. Yep. And you're getting paid a lot of money. There's a lot of things that go into that. There's a lot of egos. Um, and like Coach Lee said, you know, you have, there's a certain standard that has to still be maintained, especially as a winning program at the high school level, college level. You know, our guys, if you're if you're not 15 minutes early, you're 15 minutes late, right? Yep. I mean, yep. we're on Lombardi time. Yep. We had a meeting the other day on Zoom, and we had two guys not show up on time on the Zoom meeting. Like, hey, y'all, y'all got to get here. Like, yeah. this is not this is not how we're doing this. And that accountability is really important. I think it's really great that I think it's it showed why the Bulls were champions because Jordan set the accountability standard and Phil Jackson had enough mind at the NBA level to allow Jordan to set that standard. Yep. And when he did that, that made them better than anybody could ever imagine. Excellent. So we're in our last minute of this segment. Uh, can you guys close us out? with some type of words of inspiration or just close us out on how the show went for you tonight. Michael, we're going to let you open it up. Um, so I would speak to the kid that feels overlooked, um, not valued, the Dennis Rodman. One of the things that we didn't bring up, Dennis, they said that Dennis Rodman sometimes got bored because he didn't feel valued, he didn't feel appreciated. I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in what I can go, I can go here and go there and do that. Um, but understand your worth in the situation that you're in. But understand that you have to. I, I guess I would say understand that that your work ethic and the time that you put in, there's always a reward. Success always comes from your work ethic and your determination and overcoming obstacles. So make sure that you're not leaving for a path easier taken than just to overstepping obstacles. Cause I don't care where you go in life, whatever path you choose, there's going to be an obstacle and it's always easier to turn away. 
and I say, you know what, forget it. Um, but make sure that that you're doing what you're doing for the greater good. Mm. Um, so that would be my, my my takeaway for any any anybody listening to this, um, whether it's elementary age or myself as thirty plus. I said thirty plus, so I, so I seem older. <laughs> Coach Leach, what you got for us? Hey, so I would just say if we're if we're taking it to the high school level and those kids and you truly want success, you have got to buy in. Um there is I've always said that a college coach like Corey could come and watch my team play offensively and defensively and say, I know what they're trying to achieve. And let's just go offensively. If I'm trying to achieve something offensively, I hope that a coach like Corey can sit in a gym and say, I know what they're trying to do. It may not work, but I see what they're trying to do. Um, But in order for all that to work, I need a high school kid that's going to say, hey, I'm going to buy in. And I don't want to get too far because I could get, I could stretch it into a, a lot of different conversations. But if I buy into a certain level of play and a certain idea of how we're going to do it, and I say, coach, I'm behind you. I'm going to do whatever I can. Um, you're going to reach, the coach knows what he's, what he's doing. You're going to reach success. And you've got to trust that that success that you reach is going to make a difference for you in terms of where you go to play at the next level. Ooh, okay. Coach Corey, close us out with the takeaway. Coach G, I love that. Um, You know, we talk about all these things we can learn and Basketball is just a little fraction of who we are. And it's, it, it, it teaches you, that little fraction teaches you so much about what we can be. And when you look at the love, the respect, the leadership, the all these qualities that we talk about that we want kids to be about and what we want to be about. I mean, as coaches, we're always learning. We're always you know, wanting to pass that torch. And um, that buy-in comes from truly being about what is right and what we want to do on our path. When you look at Michael Jordan's path, when we talk about today, Michael Jordan, his competitive edge came from his family. His competitive edge came, came from his brothers, his mom, his dad. And what he wanted to con- you know, contribute to society grew as he grew as a person and we never stopped growing. So my thing to high school kids, to college kids, to anybody that ever listens to this, if anybody listens to this, is that we really want you to take one thing and the one thing is be a great citizen, be the best of you you can be. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a basketball person, baseball person, football person, or maybe you're a band person. I don't know. Um, but 
be as good as you can be at whatever you're going to be and love what you're going to be because when you don't enjoy that path it can really get ugly and so just really really respect what you do excellent thanks for those closers fellas hey this was another another great podcast just talking about the last dance talking about basketball giving off uh these tips uh to high school and college players and beyond um so once again i appreciate you fellas uh sorry that we couldn't have coach young on on the on the show tonight he, he's working he's a hard-working gentleman uh but i think you guys picked up the slack for him it was excellent it was fun i mean we started to show off with some bangers right away michael you got one last word there not a last word just feedback for us um if there's anybody listening please send brandon questions thoughts if there's anything you're thinking let us know we would love to to answer those questions um we would love to just hear feedback as how we can be an essential business no pun intended to our listeners um as this as what brandon said the best 90 minutes of somebody's that so that was my only thing i just wanted to let you know if there's any questions that you have, anything, please find a way to contact Brandon um, as he is the, the leader of this. And we just all just so grateful to be on this these, this podcast with you. All right. We're going to leave on that note. You guys can reach out to us uh, at You Can Be Mo at Yahoo. Send in your questions. Let's, let's, let's make these coaches work a little bit. Thank you, all of you guys, for listening. Coaches, thank you guys for contributing. This was fun, like always. Uh, let, let's keep this show going. We'll see you guys next Wednesday night. Well, holla. You can be Mo Podcast. Let's go.